Okay, Saturday, January 6th. Welcome to the Continental Sports Podcast. Uh, today, Valerie Proctor going to come on, talk about the Ravens. She is a sports reporter, sports anchor for WBAL in Baltimore. Ravens, of course, did clinch the AFC. Going to talk to her about that, the season they've had so far, and the expectations going into the playoffs. Uh, Ravens, of course, have had some bad playoff luck in the past, in recent history. So going to talk to her about expectations going into the playoffs um, with the Ravens and get into some Orioles talk of, as well. Of course, Orioles had a historic season this past season uh, to get swept in the playoffs in the first round, well, their first round, to the World Series champions, Rangers. Get to that awesome interview with her. A lot to get into. But first, guys, I do want to start off with some playoff scenarios for some of the bubble teams in the NFL. Start with the Vikings. I don't think anyone really wants to see the Vikings in the playoffs. Um, I mean, outside of Minnesota fans. Vikings, of course, they need the win. Uh, that's an obvious statement. But they need a lot of help. Green Bay needs to lose. Seattle needs to lose. And Tampa Bay needs to lose as well. Um, it could be Tampa Bay or New Orleans. So you're saying lose. there's a chance. There's a chance. It's not going to happen. No. But you don't even want to see shot. the Vikings in the playoffs. I don't I don't want to, I don't want to see the Vikings in the playoffs. Of course they have an absolutely terrible terrible QB situation right now. So I'm not really sure what's going to happen there, but how about the Packers though? All that has to happen for the Packers is the Packers have to win and That's I think it. they're in the playoffs mm-hmm. and you know, this was something that not a lot of people thought was going to happen and I want to get you guys get your guys thoughts on this real fast. I mean, going into the season that expectation was not that the Packers would win, and now uh, they're only a, a one win away from making the playoffs and uh, you know exceeding expectations this year. Yeah, it certainly won the expectation even at midseason because remember, I think they were three and five, three and six, and just absolutely sputtering. And they've been playing some good football lately. I mean, they've beaten the Chiefs, they've beaten the Bears, they've beaten a lot of good teams. They went to Detroit and dominated the Lions on Thanksgiving. So the, the Jordan Love has risen up to the moment. You know, he, he seems to have been better in big games this year. He's going to finish maybe leading the league in touchdown passes. That's how good he's been this season, and it's been a pleasant surprise. And Green Bay always seems to have good quarterback play, and I think the most impressive thing about it is he's doing it without really a number one receiver because they didn't have a receiver with a 100-yard receiving game until last week, and it was Bo Melton, of all people, that pulled that off. Yep. The running game's been good, but Aaron Jones has been hurt for half the season. The offensive line's been a little up and down. So the fact is Jordan Love is getting this done without a whole lot of great talent around him, and I think it's very impressive. Matt LaFleur, I think, deserves his flowers as one of the best coaches in the NFL because it's so easy to cover it up and say, oh, that was Aaron Rodgers. Well, now he's doing it with Jordan Love, so I think we got to acknowledge Matt LaFleur, pretty damn good coach. They have the inside track for the number one seed, or seven seed, excuse me, right now. Maybe even the sixth seed if the Rams lose this game to the 49ers. Yeah, because oh, they yeah. beat the Rams earlier in the season. That's right. I know the Falcons are also on the bubble. Uh, another team like the Vikings, we don't really want to see in the playoffs, uh, potentially. I mean, I don't think we want to see any of the NFC South teams in the playoffs. Maybe Tampa. Maybe Tampa. Tampa, Tampa Bay, uh, speaking of Tampa Bay, they, they actually, them losing could help a lot of teams out. I mean, obviously the Saints, they could help. The Falcons, it would help obviously as well. And I mentioned how the uh, Packers and Vikings could could lose uh, could use a Tampa Bay loss too, but it's really simple for them to make the playoffs. They'll win the South if just with a just winning out. They'll just they'll win the South. Right. Of course, they could still lose, and uh, New Orleans could tie, which of course isn't going to happen. Saints, of course, are, are kind of on the same trajectory. I mean, they uh, if they win and Tampa Bay loses, they'll win the South. And uh, like I said, a lot. NFC South is just completely wide open right now. I I agree with you, Stack. I think Tampa Bay would be the 
most favorable team to make the playoffs. I, I think they would be the most fun team to watch in the NFC South. Last one in the NFC to touch base on, the Seahawks. That's They've been kind of floating around all season long, it seems like, with playoff contention uh, ever since like midseason. They will be in the playoffs with a win and a Packers loss or a tie, or the Seahawks can tie, which we know is very unlikely and if they do tie the Packers could lose the Buccaneers could lose and they would still be in as well I mean not many people thought including myself midway through the season that Seahawks were going to be a playoff contending team but yet here they are scrappy the whole way and you know they they find themselves in week 18 with the win and get in scenario yeah they they have to win and they need Green Bay to lose so it's Not that it's unlikely, but it's going to take outside help. And they got some outside help last year to get into the playoffs. They snuck in on the final day of the season. I I think Geno hasn't been quite as good this year as he was a year ago. I think the Seahawks defense has kind of caught up with them. We saw last week them give up 30 points against the Steelers. I still think if they were to happen, they they happened to make the playoffs. I mean, they would play either probably Philadelphia or Dallas, and they gave both those teams a game. They beat the Eagles and almost beat the Cowboys earlier in the year. So, it would be an interesting thing if they actually made the playoffs, but I just I think it's gonna it's a lot for them to uh, a lot to yeah. ask. But I do think the Bears actually have a chance to go to Green Bay and win that game. We'll go to the uh, AFC now. Bills, craziest playoff team on both sides. I mean, AFC or NFC, they they can have a potential to be what a second seed or not make the playoffs at all. Of That's course, right. I think leading into that what that final uh, Sunday night game, depending on what happens, I don't actually know the exact the exact exact scenario, but they need what they need to yeah. do if they don't beat the Dolphins is they need either Jacksonville or Pittsburgh to lose. So they just need one of three things to go their way and they'll get in. So the chances of them getting in are still pretty high. But yeah, you, they could either be the second seed and one of the most dangerous teams in the playoffs or not a part of it at all. I'm sure someone can tell us when it's happened before, but of course in my lifetime, I don't ever remember seeing that be a scenario, be you know that lopsided of a outcome depending on the final game. Texans, Texans can clinch with a win. Uh, or a Jacksonville loss. Uh, Colts can clinch the South with a win. Win a Jaguars loss. Both the Texans and the Colts are in the exact same position. Yeah, with the Jaguars loss as well. So they just need to win and then have the Jaguars lose. Jaguars, though, can still be in it. Yeah, if they win, they win the division. They could get a wild card if other things go their way. Specifically, I think it would be the Steelers that would lose. But Yeah, Jaguars can tie and then the Steelers can lose or Jaguars could lose outright and the Steelers would have to lose the Broncos would have to lose or tie and the Texans and Colts just would not be able to end in a tie so the Jaguars lose those three things would have to happen like I just said Steelers loss Broncos loss or tie and then the Texans and Colts any uh, type of scenario that just was not a tie for the Jaguars to make it Steelers last last one to get into Steelers could clinch a playoff spot of course, with a win, but they also need a Buffalo loss as well. Or Jacksonville. Or Jacksonville, yep. So Steelers could have a very good chance. Let's get into Week 18, though. I mean, a lot of the playoff scenarios are always kind of crazy last game of the year. A lot of things up in the air. Um, But let's get into the actual games. We'll give our usual rundown like we always do. uh, Closest game, most intriguing storyline, shootout, snoozer. And then we'll give our favorites heading into week 18 as well. But, Zach, we'll start with you. What is your closest game uh, heading into week 18? I don't know if it's the best game of the weekend, but I think the closest game is going to be Texans-Colts. I think these teams are pretty much similar in every facet. You know, C.J. Stroud's a better quarterback than Gardner Minshew, but the Colts' running game has been better than the Texans' running game. Both defenses have been 
uh, pretty solid for the most part, especially the Colts' pass rush. And remember, these teams played earlier in the year. The Colts handled business. That was when Gardner Minshew had to yeah. come in for Anthony Richardson earlier in the year, and he went 19 for 23 and threw two touchdowns to help the Colts win that game. They've historically matched up pretty well with the Texans. The game's in Indianapolis. It's a standalone Saturday night game. I think this game has 27-24, kind of a field goal game written all over it. Yeah, this is going to be my closest game, too. Uh, they always play each other really close, like you said, Zach. They're both two different teams uh, since week two as well. Houston's defense ranks third in success rate since the week seven bye. Texans have also found a run game thanks to Devin Singletary. Singletary has been playing absolutely amazing. C.J. Stroud is probably going to win off as a rookie of the year, the way he's playing as well. I mean, 21 touchdown passes, just five interceptions, and 156 yards, topping the 4,000-yard mark despite missing two games with a concussion. So he's after, he's playing absolutely amazing. The Colts, though, have been a really surprising team this year. Like you just said, Zach, I mean, the resilience that this team has showed has been just absolutely amazing. A veteran, Gardner Minshew, you know, he's been playing absolutely amazing. Definitely earning his money, definitely earning his spot as a backup quarterback. My only other point from this game, the health of Will Anderson will be a question. He did return last week after missing two games with that ankle injury. Uh, he was back on the field, but he didn't look 100%, 100%, and he played limited snaps and had only two sacks as well. So that's something to look out for. Will Anderson, of course, if he does play, will be a huge, huge difference maker. Yeah, this is going to be an awesome game, Zach. Of course, when they played in Week 2, 31-20 uh, Colts victory. But these play these teams do always play each other very, very well, of course, being divisional rivals. And I agree with you, Zach. I think it's going to be the closest game of the week. Justin, what is your closest game of the week? I'll go with the Dolphins and the Bills. I don't think it's going to be a shootout, but I think it's going to be a very much closer game than just a 30, you know, game in the 30s. Probably be a probably get up to 28 points, maybe even 31 points, but I see a very close one here in Miami with the Bills and the Dolphins. Most intriguing storyline, Zach. What is your most intriguing storyline? Yeah, you could go a lot of ways with this, obviously, with the playoffs, but I think Bills Dolphins is the most intriguing game. No question about it, because as we mentioned Buffalo, you talk about they can either be the two seed and AFC East champs or they could be out of the playoffs. We'll know by the time the game starts whether they're in the playoffs or not. But the Dolphins haven't beaten too many good teams this year. They beat the Cowboys, but outside of that, they've struggled. I mean, last week against the Ravens, they got torched 56 19. So I'm still I'm still a little out on the Dolphins as far as calling them a Super Bowl contender. And if the Bills win this game, they're absolutely a Super Bowl contender. Remember, they housed the Dolphins 47-20 to earlier in the season. Josh Allen's playing some of the best football of his career, but now they've they've got balance with James Cook as their number one running back. He's had a string of 100-yard games. So I think this is the perfect choice for game 272 for the last game of the regular season because there's so many things that are in play here. And I'm sure that if you're a Ravens fan or if you're – a Dolphins fan or somebody in the AFC, you probably don't want the Bills to make the playoffs. So I think this is the most intriguing storyline. I'm going to go with the Eagles. <laughs> Been a big topic of conversation, not just for us, but particularly for the Eagles. Can they play in the second half? Eagles, of course, will play Giants this weekend. I mean, it's not a must win, obviously, but it's it basically is a must win heading into the playoffs, especially with the rhetoric around the Eagles and the fan base being pissed off more than ever with the team. But like I said, the second half specifically, I want to see the Eagles play better. Giants, they should be up on the Giants at halftime. Of, like I said, of course, being that way better team and having a lot to prove. But the Eagles have been up at halftime the last three games, but are only one and two in those games. And they allowed a combined 68 points over the final two quarters over those last three games as well. So even if the Eagles are up on the Giants, 
at halftime. I'm still not going to be confident about the Eagles because they've been playing just absolutely abysmal after halftime in the second half over their last three games. So that's really what I want to see. I mean, I think it'll be great to be up at halftime, but I really I want to see the Eagles play better, you know, in the second that you know the, the last two quarters of the game and really just put a team away, especially a team like the Giants, who they're a lot better than. So that's that's my most intriguing storyline. Can, can can Eagles play a full four quarters and uh, not just uh, flame out in the final two quarters of a game? Zach, uh, Justin, what is your most intriguing storyline? Will Bill Belichick win his final game, potentially final game at home against the Jets? I think the answer is yes, but I think that. Um... But yeah, if, if this is Bill Belichick's final game, if this isn't, uh, that is the most intriguing storyline for me, is how will the Patriots kind of respond to Bill Belichick's final game, if if it's his final game as Patriots coach. Surprise of the week. Uh, Zach, what is your surprise of the week? Oh, man, this is... This is tough just because you don't know who's going to be playing as far as quarterbacks or whatever. But you know what? I'm going to go with the Titans to knock off the Jaguars. I don't like how Jacksonville's been playing as of late. They started 8-3. and three. Uh, They've not been playing very good football. Trevor Lawrence has been banged up. The running game's been inconsistent. Offensive line's been inconsistent. And I'll tell you this. Mike Vrabel will have that team ready to go. Could be Derrick Henry's last game in Tennessee, so I think they're going to want to send him out the right way. Ryan Tannehill is actually starting this game, so it's a little bit of a surprise perhaps there. Uh, the Jaguars Titans have always played each other tight. The Titans have traditionally been pretty good in this series in recent memory. And I guarantee you that the Titans remember last year, week 18, the Jaguars won that game, won the division, knocked them out of the playoffs. I think Mike Vrabel's going to want to use this for revenge. I think the Titans beat the Jags at home. I'm going to go with uh, Bears Packers. I don't know how much of a surprise this is. Bears have been playing really good the second half of the season. Justin Fields has been playing really good. Uh, they're sixth in rushing in the league, and they're actually fourth in stopping the run as well. Bears, uh, that was a big problem that they had earlier in the season. Uh, their passing has gotten better, of course, with Justin Fields coming back. Their passing defense has gotten better. Packers, I mean, their whole team is injured. Of course, this is a, this is a must-win for the Packers, kind of like we talked about earlier with the playoff scenarios. They need to win this game to make the playoffs. But yeah, I mean, give me the Bears playing spoiler with the Packers. I mean, of course, the Bears would love to play spoilers with the Packers. Divisional rival for a very, very long time. Uh, a lot of history with the team. And yeah, it would... Um, Definitely be a win that the Packers would, or the Bears would like to have over their, you know, over their North rival. So give me the Bears over the Packers as my surprise of the week. Justin, what is your surprise of the week? I'm going to go with the Falcons over the Saints. I think the Saints definitely a big win last week in Tampa Bay, but I think they are going to lose at home to the Falcons. Could be a divisional upset here. We might all have the same shootout, but, uh, Zach, what is your shootout of the week? Yeah, is it the game in Miami? I think that's it. Yeah. I think it's Bills Dolphins. Yeah. I mean, with these two offenses, I think both these teams are going to get in the 30s. Uh, Tua, Tyreek Hill. Uh, Jalen Waddle sounds like he'll be able to go in this game, and if that's the case, they'll have their full arsenal. And the Bills offense has been dynamic these last couple weeks. Josh Allen didn't play particularly great last week. I think he's going to want to rebound in a big way. Bills Dolphins is the shootout. Mine too. Stephon Diggs has to play better. He has not had a 100-yard receiving game since week six, and he's now gone four games now without uh, 50 receiving yards or a touchdown. So Stefan Diggs, I don't know what happened to him. Of course, the Bills are definitely going to need him, not even not just in this game, but especially if they go on to the playoffs. They're, they're going to need him badly. Um, you know, Allen did not respond well to the pressure set on him last week against the Pats. That was noticeable. Dolphins are a little bit battered, though. Of course, Dolphins will be without Bradley Chubb, and 
likely without Xavier Howard as well. Rasheed Mostert and Waddle have been banged up in the previous weeks as well. And of course, they struggle against good teams as well. So I don't expect a lot of defense in this game. I think this game will be won by the offense. It's, <laughs> and that's why I do think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be the shootout of the week. And Justin, is this going to be yours as well? Is this Actually, the of the week no, is? I'm going to go with Colts, Texans. So I know you guys have the Dolphins and Bills as the shootout and Colts-Texans as the closest game, but I have the opposite. Dolphins and Bills being my closest games, Colts-Texans as my shootout. These offenses are very underrated in this game for the Colts and the Texans, so I think it's going to be a higher-scoring game, actually, than the Bills and Dolphins. Yeah, my last point on the Bills and Dolphins, uh, Buffalo is actually really good at keeping Tyreek Hill contained. Yeah, he he only has 31 catches and 284 yards in a TD in his six regular season meetings with the Bills. So overall, the Bills are really good at keeping Tyreek Hill contained. Probably have the same snoozer as well. But Zach, what is your snoozer of the week? Jets Patriots. This game is not going to be fun in any sort of way whatsoever. Neither team's playing for anything. This this is going to be a low scoring game. If anybody watches this, I question your sanity. Yeah, this is going to be my snoozer of the week, too. Zach, uh, Justin, probably yours as well. The game has absolutely no implications whatsoever. Like you said, Justin, this might be Bill Belichick's final game in New England. Jets would love to play spoiler to the Patriots. Of course, they have a long history as well, being divisional rivals. It's going to be two solid defenses and probably the worst offenses in the NFL. And that mm-hmm. basically just leads for a very, very boring game, a very low-scoring game. It's going to be a close game. But that's mostly just because it's going to probably be like three to six in the fourth quarter. And exactly. Nothing's that, happen. Yeah, my snoozer as well will be Jets Patriots. I know it's kind of intriguing. It's Belichick's final game in New England. But uh, but yeah, this is going to be this could be in a tie. This could be a low and this could be a low scoring game as well. Rams, not, uh, sorry, favorite of the week. Zach, what is your favorite of the week? I expect the Cowboys to take care of business against the Commanders. They've pretty much given up on Ron Rivera. The Commanders have just sank recently in Dallas. Beat them 45-10 on Thanksgiving earlier in the season. Cowboys are going to play all their starters in this game because they need to win it to win the NFC East. And I know they haven't been great on the road, but the Commanders are not a particularly good team, so I don't think it matters in this case. So I'm, I'm taking Dallas. Yeah, the only team that the the only NFC East team that the Commanders play well against is really the Eagles, and uh, obviously not playing the Eagles. So yeah, they're gonna Cowboys are gonna make, have a field day with the Commanders. I'm gonna take my favorite of the week though, uh, Rams over the Niners. Then that's really just because the Niners are going to sit a lot of people, and the Rams have been playing really, really well. 49ers are actually still favored. Really? Even with yeah. sitting like their entire team? That's surprising, though, because, I mean, Rams have every, everything to play for this week, and the Niners have nothing to play for, and Rams have been playing really well, too. Uh, Puka, Nakua, uh, Puka Nakua, excuse me, he needs 29 more yards to set the NFL record for rookie receiving yards, so that's obviously something to look out for, something that something that he, I'm sure, def- desperately, desperately wants as well. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's yeah, I'm going to take the Rams over the Niners. I just There's absolutely no reason for the Niners to even play this game, um, and Rams are playing for something, like I said. So, yeah, give me the Rams over the Niners. Justin, what is your favorite of the week? I'm going to go with the Bucks over the Panthers. I think this is an easy lock. The Panthers, they're done. We know their season's over, and it's going to be a 2-15 finish in Carolina because it looks like the Bucks, if I'm corrected, yes, the Bucks will win the NFC South with a win in this game. Let's get ready for the national championship game, guys. Switching over to college football. Monday night, of course, Michigan versus 
Washington. I mean, it's a lot to get into with this game. It's going to be a really good game. Uh, I'll go. I'll start with you, Zach. Though, I mean, what do you? What's your mm-hmm. prediction for this game? I mean, who do you think comes out? I think it's going to be Washington. I think you might feel the same way as well. Or what do you mm-hmm. think on this game? How do you think it's going to turn out? Yeah, putting even putting bias aside, I'm picking Washington to win this game, and the reason why is because they've felt like a team of destiny all year. They're seven and zero in one score games, and Michigan really hasn't been tested too much. They got tested by Ohio State. They got tested by Alabama. They haven't. That secondary has not seen a passing game like what they're going to see with Washington. They've got one of the best receiver cores in the country with Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan. And you got Dylan Johnson, who's really improved as a running back these last couple weeks. I think there's four positions on the field that matter more than anything else. Quarterback, lineman, receivers, and pass rush. Washington is very good in all four of those things. And I think in this game is going to get down to the fourth quarter. I don't think Michigan's going to be able to run over this Washington defense. And I'm going to take Michael Penix over J.J. McCarthy in the fourth quarter. Washington has been there, done that with close games this year. And they just feel like, as I mentioned, feels like a team of destiny. Special teams has been very good for the Huskies as well. It's been a bit of an issue for Michigan, as we saw Mm -hmm. in the Rose Bowl. I'm taking Washington to win this game. I think it's a barn burner. I like Washington 34-31. Yeah, people forget, not that this really matters, but people forget that Penix actually played Michigan before <laughs> back in uh, back in 2020 when he was at Indiana. Yeah, he was pretty good in that game yeah, too. Yeah, 342 yards, uh, three touchdowns, and yeah, led the Hoosers to a 38-21 win. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like I said, that was a long time ago different team yep. <laughs> at this point and Penix himself is different but yeah Penix of course at the Sugar Bowl uh it was his fourth 400 yard uh performance of the season it increased his season total to 4648 yards moving past Bonix for the first in the nation he's absolutely been playing amazing i mean this is going to be basically a matchup of Washington's offense versus Michigan's defense but let me ask you this i mean If Penix can come out and play like he did in the Sugar Bowl, do you think he's going to – I mean, not to state the obvious, but, I mean, just what do you think of his chances of moving further up in the draft board just over one or two games? Oh, yeah, he's going to move up in the draft order. I think he's already doing that regardless of whether they win this game or not because I think he's the most accurate quarterback in this draft class, even more than Caleb Williams or Drake May. If Michael Penix didn't have the injury history that that he has, he'd probably be a consensus top five pick, maybe just a top ten pick. But Michael Penix is outstanding, and I think his play the last couple weeks, he's moving up the board quickly. Yeah, his age, though, of course, is a problem. I know uh, I've, I've heard a lot of people be say, a lot of people saying, too, he, because he's been in college for so long, uh, he might have just gotten more used to college, and the transition to the NFL might be a little bit difficult for him, especially with the you know faster and stronger uh, talent that there is in the NFL. But you watch him play, though. I mean, he's definitely a mobile quarterback. He can definitely you know run out of tough situations, and he can throw the ball better than any NFL quarterback even right now. Maybe not any, but he's definitely in line and definitely has the talent as a thrower to, you know, compete and be productive in the NFL, that's for sure. But yeah, like I said, I mean, Washington's offensive line, this is going to be a huge game for them like it's been all year. Joe Moore, of course, for the Huskies, he won the best offensive lineman uh, this year. So Texas didn't really get any pressure on them during the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Michigan's defense... Uh, has tallied though 38 sacks so far this season and they blitz better than pretty much any team in the league so yeah it's gonna be a you know just an absolute offensive matchup versus a stellar stellar defense so it's gonna be really really fun to watch and I'm gonna take uh, Washington to win this game and Justin what about you I mean what is your pick for this game who do you see coming out on top on Monday night I see Washington winning this game I think Washington has the better quarterback the better team I think they come out and 
maybe not maybe not blow out Michigan. I think this is a closer game. I mean, the highest points, I think, you know, highest deficit for Michigan, highest probably 10-point win for Washington, maybe even less than a 10-point win, which I see. Michigan's secondary played really, really well uh, against Alabama at the Rose Bowl, so that's going to be something to look out for too. I don't know if he, he might not have the same – ease as he had at the sugar bowl throwing the ball because michigan like i said the second secondary for michigan surprisingly showed up and were just dominant against alabama and and milrow and gave milrow a really tough time throwing the ball so i want to see if michigan can kind of come out again on monday night and have their secondary play the same way they played at the rose bowl because if they do Penix might have a trouble you know he, he might have more trouble throwing the ball than he did at the sugar bowl and it might make the game a little bit more interesting i think we're all we're all online all three of us picking the Huskies over Michigan on Monday night, and we'll we'll see what happens. National championship game coming up. Writer's block of the week. Zach, we'll start with you. What is your writer's block of the week? Yeah, Pat McAfee just basically called a high-ranking official of ESPN a rat and uh, releasing the numbers on the Pat McAfee show a little bit early because they are the only ones that would know that the numbers have not been all that great as of late, and they kind of linked that to the New York Post and – you know, you combine that with what's happened this week with the whole Aaron Rodgers interview. Things aren't going too particularly well for Pat McAfee at ESPN, which I'm not surprised about because ESPN is known for stifling a lot of their top talent, and they're doing that with Pat McAfee. The, the vibe that he gives off and the vibe that ESPN tries to give off are very, very different. So I, I don't know if this is going to last a whole lot longer. I know it's a five-year deal. I would be very surprised if McAfee is there for five years, even with doing College Game Day and doing his show. I the, the quality of his show has not been the same since he went to ESPN. And I they say he's supposed to have full creative control. I don't know that they're actually allowing full creative control. So, you know, calling out one of your uh, one of your bosses usually doesn't end too well. When it first happened, when he first signed with ESPN, I thought it was really weird. I mean, like you said, Zach, his vibe is just completely different. ESPN is so buttoned up and he definitely, you know, he's definitely not like he's not going to wear a suit and tie. Let's just say that every day no. or, or ever. And, you know, I think it was just a weird kind of marriage <laughs> to begin with when it first happened. My, uh, my writer's block. Um, I, I feel like I'm always mentioning something with Rogers for my writer's block, but ESPN did come out with a headline the other day, uh, voting Rogers, the most inspirational player by the jets. I, of course, I don't know what he did. I mean, he, all he was <laughs> yeah. doing all year long was pretty much just saying that he was going to come back, never actually came back. And I guess that was enough to make him the most inspirational player by his colleagues at the Jets. So, yeah, good good for him, Rodgers, uh, inspire, inspiring his Jets to be one of the worst teams in the league this year. Justin, uh, Rodgers block this week? The jersey swapping, obviously, now in the, uh, the NBA. So, Robin Lopez swapped jerseys with the mascot of the Spurs. I mean, that's just funny and interesting, but... Jersey, the jersey swapping should be more private than than public. I think that's why people are very uh, get very upset with the jersey swapping. But I think that um, I think that the that if if you want to swap jersey with a mascot or or another player in football or basketball, whichever sport, just keep it private. I mean, apparently, you know, apparently everybody doesn't. Not everybody, but people don't like it. So maybe keep it a little private. What would they do? Like go into the uh, going go into each other's locker room, or <laughs> like I feel like there's no other way to really do it besides. Yeah, like, right. But for the media, not to sh- overshow it too much. Okay. Okay. Fair. That's enough. what I meant to say. Let's move on. Valerie Proctor 
Baltimore, uh, WBAL sports reporter, uh, sports anchor for the station. Breaking down the Ravens. Ravens, of course, winning the AFC, clinching the AFC. Lamar Jackson and the whole team sitting out this weekend. Talk to the, talk to her about the season so far. Why this season seems different than other seasons. Of course, they've had some bad luck in the playoffs uh, these past uh, couple of years. But why is this year different besides just the team being healthy? And talk some Orioles as well. Orioles, of course, had a unfortunate ending to their season, despite record-breaking as it was. And uh, what they have to do going into the next year to uh, – be a dominant team yet again in in the uh, in the MLB. So, without further ado, let's head to Baltimore and talk to Valerie. Heading to Baltimore, talking to Valerie Preoctor. Valerie, it's been a long time since we had you on. I think we had you on before the NFL season started. I'm not really sure, but sports anchor and reporter at WBAL News Radio in Baltimore. Love to have you on again. Had to have you on again. Ravens absolutely cruising right now, winning the AFC. Uh, second time in history, I was actually surprised to hear only the second time in history the Ravens have actually won the AFC and the you know playoffs in the AFC, of course, will be going through Baltimore now. Let's start with the Ravens, though, of course. Um, just in general, I mean, how pumped is this city right now? I mean, the way they're playing, it seems like they're peaking at the right time. Obviously had a little bit of stumbles uh, midway through the season with a couple of games that they had, but there's no denying over these last three, four weeks, this team is the best team in the league. And the perennial favorites, I think, by a lot of people's minds to come away and win the Super Bowl, of course, if the team stays healthy. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. The vibe right now in Baltimore is ecstatic. Everyone is so excited. This is the first time that the Ravens have the number one seed again since 2019 and that was Lamar Jackson's MVP year so we're kind of seeing history repeat itself especially with Lamar Jackson now beating out Brock Purdy to a tongue of Iloa I mean it shows you how much that the Ravens can go against premier teams in the league and absolutely squander their chances against the Baltimore Ravens so I think it's pretty cool right now because everything is really working for them. They're hitting on all cylinders and they've been doing it without some of their key players. I think that you look at the 49ers and a couple other teams, they have health on their side. They haven't lost any guys to permanent injuries or for season long injuries like the Ravens had all year long. They went into the season and they thought they were going to have JK Dobbins. He tears his Achilles in the first game. Then they were kind of cruising for a little bit without him figuring out the running game. They saw Keaton Mitchell, liked him, was working with him. He goes down with a knee injury. And that happened right after Mark Andrews, their security blanket for Lamar Jackson. He goes down with an ankle injury. He could be back now that their playoff hopes are severely alive. I mean, this is a team that's worked with their top three players down. Ronnie Stanley at left tackle hasn't been his best all season long. And their offensive line is still killing it. So I think it shows you that this team is able to work with what they have. They're their adaptability is unlike any other team. And it wasn't like that in the past. Sometimes we'd seen Lamar Jackson really put the entire game on his shoulders. And now he has a lot more receivers to go to. And you're just seeing everything kind of be spread evenly throughout this team. And that's what's really working for them. So I think they're in a good spot and you'll get into it, I'm sure. But they picked up another running back uh, just last night, which was breaking news about Dalvin Cook. And we didn't think that they would be picking up anybody at this point. So the fact that they're still making additions to be the better team and be the best team in the league, which they are right now as their record is the best in the league at 13-3, and three, 
they believe that they should be probably 16 and 0 with those three losses that you mentioned midway through. I mean, those were games that they should have won and they still think that. So they're going into every game thinking that they're undefeated and they're still viewing themselves as the underdog, which is seemed to be working for them. Breaking the Dalvin Cook now, obviously that came out last, I think it was last night, yeah. right? Yeah, that came out. <laughs> time goes so fast anymore. But yeah, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night, uh, we're recording, well, Thursday night, excuse me, we're recording this on Friday. Uh, yeah, Dalvin Cook is going to the Ravens. It's interesting though, because this rushing attack, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this too, has been explosive this year. I mean, they've always been known for their rushing uh, and their passing, of course, have gotten a lot better this year too we'll get into that in a second but just talk about the rushing attack and how they were able to like I mean really put that together this year I mean like I said they've always been known as a rushing team always been known as a team that rushes the ball very well but something just seems different this year doesn't it about this rushing team like they're they run the ball down people's throats they can't stop the, the run nobody can stop the run and of course Lamar Jackson just being that dual threat is also contributing to all that as well you're right and they faced a lot of teams that had said they they had the number one defense against the run and they've absolutely blistered teams uh with their run game like you said Lamar Jackson he's the numbers wouldn't say that um he is that MVP caliber and and we'll probably get into that later too but he is leading the team in rushing yards so he's closer to a thousand rushing yards than than Gus Edwards. So and Gus Edwards has been their back the entire year. He's the one that stayed healthy. He's the one who's gotten the the angry runs scepter from Good Morning Football, which which I always love. Um, but he has been the mainstay as well as Justice Hill, who we saw a lot of last weekend. Justice Hill got his first receiving touchdown ever. I mean, he was incredible, and he's done a great job on special teams too. He had almost an eighty yard return on a punt, which was incredible. And so you are seeing a little bit more of that uh, that rushing from the Ravens that we saw more like in that 2019 season. So remember, there were a couple years where we didn't have Gus Edwards and we didn't have J.K. Dobbin. They both were out with injuries. So now that they were on the other side of that, especially with Gus, he's that big body guy that you like to get through the middle. And he's shown that on third down, he's the guy. Um, and so he leads the team right now with 13 rushing touchdowns. And so for him to be that number one rusher, and then of course, Lamar Jackson is is still, you know, teams just can't get him down. They can't, they can't tackle him. We saw that against the Jaguars and we saw Miami break down that film and say, you can't go high, he'll spin out. You can't go low, he's a runner. You know, this is the type of, of player that teams literally don't know how to face and, and they don't know how to adapt the way that he does. And I think that's a real credit to Todd Munkin and the offensive coordinator coming in this year and completely changing the complexion of this rushing offense, which, like you said, it's still known to be a rushing offense, but now it's more 50-50. We are seeing a lot more passing from Lamar Jackson, which everyone was hoping for. We were waiting to see that arm talent really come into play, and we've seen a lot more of it this year. Were people surprised that they picked up Dalvin Cook? I mean, you just mentioned it at length, how well they've been running the ball and. I mean, was there like what was the really the motivation behind getting Dalvin Cook? Was it just because hey, why not? I mean, Dobbins is out, of course, and we might as well just try to boost her up as much, as much as we can on offense going into the playoffs. Like, were fans just kind of like surprised by this signing? Like I said, just given how well they have been playing, uh, you know, at the line of scrimmage. And it's a great pickup. I mean, I think that that's what 
Eric DaCosta, the general manager of the Ravens, and that's what Coach Harbaugh, they look for. They look for great additions no matter what the time of year is. They always have their finger on the pulse of what's going on around the league. And when Dalvin Cook was released by the Jets earlier this week and then he kind of just sat on waivers, that was a perfect excuse for the Ravens to say, we're going to take a chance on him even though he hasn't been playing well. Their team hasn't been playing well. So you can't look for the what the team has been doing compared to what the running back can do. And I relate to this uh, – kind of the way that the Orioles look at players, they pick players that are kind of struggling and they go in with their coaches and they help bring that person back out of their shell and they make them a better player. And we've seen that a lot from the Orioles, but we've also seen it from the Ravens. Look at how many one-year deal guys the Ravens had that teams had given up on, like Jadavian Clowney, Kyle Van Noy. OBJ was just a free agent sitting there. They have made these players reach personal best this year like they haven't in years. And I think that's a credit to not only the coaches, but to the front office too, just looking at what's there. And so we were at the at the castle yesterday at the Ravens facility talking to, to Coach Harbaugh. And from my understanding, we didn't know anything about the Dalvin Cook pickup at that point. And so I even talked to Melvin Gordon, who came into last week's game, scored a touchdown. He's the backup running back that was kind of sitting on the practice squad as a veteran all season long. And once J.K. Dobbins went out with that injury, they saw Keaton Mitchell as kind of that shining light. And then he goes down to an injury. And even though they were without him last week and they did well without him, you can't go into the playoffs really with only three starting running backs. I mean, that wouldn't even be the case because Melvin Gordon, it's really just Justice Hill and, and Gus Edwards that are the mainstays. So to bring in a fourth guy like you were at full strength, I think that's smart of them to do, considering how far they want to go. One of the, you know, I want to go on the passing. Uh, you know, you mentioned Odell Beckham Jr., a lot of other guys in the passing game as well. Uh, one of the biggest uh, critiques the Ravens always had, it, you know, having trouble getting past that divisional round was that they didn't really have any passing attack. And I think this year is a really good example of how when you do make your offense a little bit more modernized and you bring in some, you know, passing threat, some with receivers that can be an, a threat and you know really open up the field I think it's really showing that it's it pays off for the Ravens and you know I think it's a, a word I've heard a lot of times and I'm sure you've heard it too is the Ravens offense seems to be a lot more modernized this year uh, they're not just relying strictly on their running attack like we've already talked about at length already but they actually brought in these guys that can are threats on the outside you know they brought in Beckham Jr. say Flowers is playing amazing obviously so just talk to me about that and you know find Finally, just utilizing the pass game more. And, I'm, and I know the fans, I'd love to hear the fans' takes on this too, if, if you if you can speak on that, just how excited and how happy the fans are that they're finally utilizing a passing game. Because that's something I know the fans have been clamoring for for a long time now. Yeah, it was a huge area of need for the Ravens going into this offseason, looking at what they were able to do in the past. You mentioned it before, they were known for rushing. And so for them to say, we've got that down. We have our running backs. Let's focus on what we need to do and bring in a wide receiver like Oda Beckham Jr. Pairing that with Zay Flowers in the draft. And then you're getting guys that are healthy again, like Rashad Bateman. And you brought in Nelson Aguilar too, which he kind of flies under the radar. But each of them are important and they've all helped this team in measurable ways. I mean, OBJ might not be the number one guy, but he will make at least one incredible play and have one incredible catch every single game. And that's important because those are scoring drives. And so every 
every single play counts. And so we saw a little bit in the beginning. Now it took a process. It was very hard to see at the beginning of the year what they were working on. And it seemed like Lamar Jackson was uncomfortable. He didn't know how to work things. When you have too much of a variety, it's almost like it gets lost in the mix and you can't see what's going on in the field. And now I think Lamar Jackson is way more comfortable working with Todd Munkin, having his own design runs, and then, of course, design plays that fall into place where he can throw a 75-yard touchdown to Zay Flowers. That was what I think the fans were waiting for because we had seen 20-yard throws, 30-yard passes, but we were waiting for those those moments where Lamar Jackson was going to unleash. And we've seen all the different crazy arm angles that he's able to throw, where his feet are too. They're in the air. They're faced the other way. I mean, he's falling down and throwing these passes. It's so much like Patrick Mahomes that Lamar Jackson isn't getting the credit for how versatile he is in what happens in the pocket. And we've seen a lot more of Lamar Jackson throwing from the pocket than we had in the past. And he's got a lot more time, thanks to the offensive line, giving him the time of day to see what's on the field, do his checkdowns. And so I think the fans are really happy about that. And they have every reason to, they finally have a receiving core in 2023 going into 2024. Now that like they haven't had for years. I mean, people are saying that Zay flowers is the best wide receiver that they've drafted ever, maybe since probably Torrey Smith. And he's just shattered Torrey Smith's rookie receiving record already. So I doubt we'll see him this weekend uh, in the regular season finale, but don't worry, Zay Flowers isn't finished yet. So he's getting ready to play his rookie season in the postseason, and he's going to make an incredible impact. Do you think the offensive line was one of the most unsung biggest improvements uh, this year? I mean, I think it's it's underlooked a lot of the times, not just for the Ravens, but many teams, if not all teams, especially when you know you have Lamar Jackson, you're known for your defense as well, which we'll get into which we'll get into in a second. But do you think that's been one of the most underlooked things uh, for the Ravens, uh, you know, fan base wise uh, going into this season as an improvement of last year? Hundred percent. I mean, you look at who they. Yeah pretty much untouched going into this year besides bringing in a new uh, left guard, which is, I believe, a John Simpson. I think he's left. Um, So it's very different when you bring in a guard like that because there's so much compatibility along that line that stems from the center to the outside tackles, which are so important in Ronnie Stanley and Morgan Moses, who they've done an incredible job, but both of them have missed time. Almost everybody, I believe, on the line has missed time this year. Um, for different things, um, even the center Tyler Linderbaum, who I talked to this week, and he's a pro bowler in his second year, and he was a first-round pick um, in 2022, I believe, and everyone kept saying, why are you picking a center in the first round? That's why, because he's a pro bowler. So, I mean, there's no better explanation than that to show you how consistent this offensive line is, and they've gone through games where they didn't let a single sack in to Lamar Jackson. That's an incredible feat. I mean, most offensive lines can't do that. And you've seen them go against defenses that have Miles Garrett, Aaron Donald. I mean, an incredible array of players that are future Hall of Famers. TJ Watt, they're going to face him this weekend. And they've been able to shut them down and silence their defenses. And that is a huge testament to the offensive linemen and the way that they grind every single game. It seems like for the first time really ever, uh, this team is healthy going into the playoffs and does that kind of create a uh more of um i don't want to say like 
more expectations obviously are already very, very high for this team, but is there kind of this sentiment and kind of this idea now of there's no excuses to not go all the way, given that this team is so healthy? I mean, we'll get to the defense in a second. Defense is just playing absolutely amazing. We spend so much time talking right now on the offense, but the defense as well is, is playing just absolutely lights out as well. Mike, Mike McDonald, his second year in the season, or his, his second year at, at the Ravens, I should say. I mean, he leads the league in takeaways, sacks, uh, fewest points per game allowed. I think he has the fewest total points allowed out of any team in the NFL, uh, fewest yards per passing attempt, and he's the second fewest in yards per play as well. So this defense, I mean, is absolutely cooking as well along with this offense. So is this kind of a sentiment now with this fan base that there's really no excuse to not go all the way to the big game, all the way to uh, Las Vegas this year? Yeah, for that part about health, I, I do believe that you're right. But we're cautiously optimistic because mm -hmm. we know that anything can happen in a split second in a game like this. And that's why you're seeing a lot of guys being rested for this week, this week 18 finale, because they don't need all those guys out there to win. And they're still planning to win this game. There's still uh, a belief that their backups are better than whatever the Steelers have to offer, which is still their backup quarterback and whatever offense that they have is working and their defense as well. But it's still an NFL team. They're not underestimating that, but they're convinced that they can still play a, a team better than they could with their starters. So I think that that's a, that's a good mindset to go into this, this game as, and it just gives more guys rest, which is obviously what they need to stay healthy. We've seen guys at this point in the season, I've talked to so many of them, they all have underlying, you know, injuries that everybody's dealing with. Everyone's sore. This is a tough physical game. Sure. It's violent. And there's nobody that's 100% healthy like you and I are feeling every single day. We're not getting this type of impact. So for them to continue to win, beat up, and uh, I give them so much credit. Uh, but to your point about the defense, look, defenses win championships. That's what you hear every single year. So I think for this year... Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen to be those inside linebackers that are both Pro Bowls. They they're going for Roquan's second time, Patrick Queen his first time. For them to be the AFC both nodded to the to the Pro Bowl, that says they are the best linebackers in the league, at least on this side of things on the AFC. But yeah. that is a huge testament. That's a huge testament. Yeah. So yeah. I think oh, yeah. that they control everything else. And we've seen other guys get involved, obviously, the, the rest of the secondary with Geno Stone and all the interceptions that he's had. Kyle Hamilton's having an incredible year, sacks, interceptions, return for a touchdown. I mean, this is he, he got nominated to the Pro Bowl as well. This is the Ravens year. And so I think you're right. It's kind of like Super Bowl or bust at this point. And I think the players feel that way, too. Yeah. And, uh, and you reiterated, too. I mean, nobody nobody is healthy at this point point of the year i mean you might not be injured to the point where you're out of a game right. but nobody is like healthy this time of the year uh but it does seem like the afc is really open for the first time I mean, afc has always been the dominant uh conference now it actually seems like the nfc is more the dominant conference and we've talked about it on this show at length a couple of times how this year has kind of been a reverse of roles where the nfc is more of the you know juggernauts and the afc has been kind of a question mark i mean you look at kansas city they're a big-time question mark right now. Trevor Lawrence for the Jaguars, he's injured. Jaguars aren't playing good. Houston, Young, uh, Browns, I mean, 
Flacco is playing really good, of course. So that's something you have to look out for. But Steelers obviously have been a question mark this whole league or this whole year. But Bills question mark. Miami can't beat a good team. So it really does seem like the, you know, this. Now, like I would like to get your thoughts on this too. Like it seems like the AFC is pretty open, uh, especially you know for a path to go to Vegas. I'm going to disagree with you because okay. when you look at the NFC teams. All of them are, they're great. And there are so many of them. You look at the 49ers, maybe the Seahawks. I mean, the Rams are kind of still there. These are teams that the Ravens have all beat considerably. I mean, maybe not the Rams, but, you know, they showed what they can do against NFC teams. And I think for the AFC, not that they, not that it's open, but it's just surprising at who's still there. It's not the normal AFC that we're, we've been used to for the last five years with the Chiefs. It's now, oh, the Ravens? Wait, the Browns? Wait, what's going on? These are teams that were not expected to be at the top of the AFC, but are. Oh, the the Dolphins, they're good, but they're really not that good. The Bills, we've seen them lose a lot this year. On the other side of things with the NFC and the Cowboys, I don't know why people still believe in the Cowboys. They're not winning. I promise you that. Like If they are, then I'll do something for all that say that they will, because I don't believe that there's a lot of faith there. And we have, have nothing to prove that they can go farther than they've ever gone before. They haven't. So they can't win away, just like the Dolphins. You said that. So I, I believe that it's not that the AFC is open. It's just different. And so we're we're finally entering that modern day. Now this is what it looks like. Like it's going to change every year. And it's funny you mentioned Houston because you go through these seasons all the time where they have down seasons, the Lions, for so long. And now they're on the uptick. This is just what happens in every single sport. I mean, you go through down years where you don't have a franchise quarterback. You don't have the right coach. Nothing's working. Everybody's injured. Everybody goes through that season. Now, it happened for the Ravens. They had a really down year the past couple of years where they were down with injury. Now they're finally healthy. Things are working. They have the team that they need. You could say that about a bunch of other teams on both sides. So I think it's just the way that the cards kind of fall where they may. And look, it's not going to be the Chiefs' year. It's just not. And I think a lot of people are realizing that, and they are – taking that into account and saying, okay, well, who else do I have to look at for the AFC? And they just start ticking off names of different teams because it's going to come down to the best two. And I know that we probably did see one of the previews uh, on Christmas night with the 49ers and and the Ravens. Because right now, even though the Ravens beat the 49ers, you never know what could happen. But those teams right now to me are are the top two teams. Yeah, of course, Ravens, 49ers being the, uh, having the most pro bowlers going, uh, Niners have nine yeah. going to the Pro Bowl. Uh, Ravens have seven. So, but I mean, fans have to be very uh, optimistic if they get to the uh, get to the big game. They'll get to the Super Bowl because Lamar Jackson. I think what is he like nineteen and one against NFC opponents? What is it again? Like what is it about him against NFC opponents? Like do you have, do you have anything that you can place on to that? Like what what is it about him that's so good against NFC uh, teams? And I believe he's twenty and one now with that with that Niners uh, right. beatdown, but. I think it's because the NFC doesn't face him all that much. I mean, they get to see, especially the AFC North, they get the Steelers, the Browns, the Bengals are so familiar with what Lamar Jackson can do, but the Niners are not. I mean, they hadn't faced them in five years. Uh, And so uh, I believe that all those teams, they're way across the country, uh, as for most of them, like Seattle, the Rams, um, and so, I mean, I would even say those teams that they play, even in the AFC, like the Chargers, don't really know what Lamar Jackson can do. Because even when you see him in one game, the next time that you see him, which is going to be however many months, years later, 
it's changed. He's evolved. He's gotten better. He can do things differently. And so NFC teams that don't see him all the time are going to say that. And, you know, the Jack, the Jacksonville Jaguars had had the Ravens number for a while, and they still, I think, lead the, the all-time series. But they're hard to play against. And now that they're – even when they were bad. Remember, the, the Ravens were still losing to the Jaguars when they were in their down years. So now that they're kind of back on top, and I know that they kind of hurt Trevor Lawrence in that game, but uh, they're, re- they're realizing that they can really bulldoze any team right now, especially the NFC, because they can take advantage of what they don't know. And I think that's really what helps Lamar. So Lamar Jackson, 2019, unanimous, of course, in his MVP voting. We talked about it on Thursday a little bit between us, between us three. Um, it's it's pretty much in the bag at this point that he won MVP. I, I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you. I, you anyone, anyone, ESPN, and it doesn't matter what you're listening to, who you're talking to, everyone's pretty much saying the same thing. Lamar Jackson is going to win MVP. What are your chances? I mean, what do you think of the chances of him being unanimous again like he was in 2019 yeah I don't think it's going to be unanimous at this point because I think Brock Purdy is still a really viable option look he's the first Niners quarterback that has been selected the Pro Bowl since 2002 was he even alive in 2002 is the real question I don't even think so so that's a huge testament to the 49ers and what they've been able to do and turn things around with their backup quarterback Mr. Irrelevant who I give the Niners a lot of credit Um, And I think Kyle Shanahan has things running really well over there. But I don't believe that Lamar Jackson will be the unanimous MVP. I don't think he should be the MVP at all. I think it should be either Brock Purdy. I think it should be Christian McCaffrey. I don't know why Tyreek Hill isn't in that conversation. Those guys have been the MVPs of their team. So not to say that Lamar Jackson hasn't been the MVP of this team. He has. There's no doubt about it. But I know that in his mind, and he's said this on countless occasions, He doesn't want that. It's great to be in the conversation. He wants the Super Bowl MVP. That's the one that he wants, and that's the one that he should get this year, not the regular league MVP, because that can go to anybody who doesn't win the Super Bowl. That's that's the difference. When you get the regular league MVP, you don't win the Super Bowl. It's just, I mean, you do, but if you're Patrick Mahomes or whatever, but, you know, that's not what he's looking for right now. Yeah, interesting. I mean, Ravens just have so many guys, and so you think it just – you think it'd be more Brock Purdy or Chris McAfee just because they probably do more for the team than maybe Lamar Jackson does for the team. Not that, like you said, not that Lamar Jackson isn't amazing, but you just think that because the Ravens are so stacked on the amount of guys that they have, you just think it might go to uh, somebody from the Niners just because of the impact that they make to that team. And, and not to say that the Ravens can't have an MVP caliber teammate. They do. But I think it's mm-hmm. been such a team effort, and it has been for the Niners too. Like you go down the list of weapons that the Niners have, it's not just Christian McCaffrey, it's Debo Samuel, it's George Kittle, it's Kyle Juszczyk, it's They've got a lot of it's Brandon Ayuk. There's so many, just like the Ravens have. You could go through all the list of their weapons offensively. But I think that Lamar Jackson isn't consistently getting or throwing a touchdown every single game. Or I'm sorry, rushing or throwing a touchdown. Christian McCaffrey can do it. Six ways till Tuesday. Tuesday he can go. He can rush in a touchdown, which he's done consistently for 16 straight games. He can catch touchdown passes receiving wise. Um, he can throw touchdown passes. So I think that I'm really against having the quarterback be the MVP every single year. I just think it's wrong because there's some yeah. teams where their quarterback hasn't led them. It's been the defensive guys, which aren't ever going to get an MVP. Um, it, it's been the running backs who are the who are scoring. It's been Tyree Kill. He's not going to reach 2,000 yards. If he had, 
maybe he should have been the MVP. He should be in the conversation because that's an incredible feat that not a lot of other guys can say that they've ever done, literally ever. So that's something that has to be commended with an award like that. So I don't think that every year it has to go to the quarterback. That's just not fair. I mean, there's offensive players of the year. That's not the same meaning. There's defensive players of the year. That's not the same meaning. I think that MVP should be reserved for the most valuable player. And it's hard to judge that in 32 teams of the league, but I don't think it has to be a quarterback every single year. Yeah, for sure. It always seems to be the quarterback of, you know, one of the teams that won the conference, right? right. AFC or NFC, just what it always just kind of seems to be. And McCaffrey this year would be interesting because we talked about it at length too, and I'm sure you've talked about it, you know, off air with people too, or, or even on air. McCaffrey would be interesting because, uh, you know, all the drama that we had earlier this year before the season started with the running back position. Right. So to have a running back win MVP would totally. be a very awkward thing to happen with given the rhetoric before the season started. Absolutely. And I think you're right. And that's why I kind of like breaking those barriers. I think he would be the first running back since Adrian Peterson won, uh, if that were the case. So, I mean, you're right. It just shows you how undervalued other positions are. And that's so wrong to me because every position is so valuable. You can't win without a left tackle. You know, you can't win without a running back. And so there's so much of the game that falls, yes, under the quarterback's shoulders. He's the leader. He's the captain. He facilitates everything on the offense. But we said it before, defenses win championships. Why can't Aaron Donald be the MVP? Why can't Roquan Smith be the MVP? I mean, there's so many different guys that, that you could say that about. Justin Matabike, I mean, he falls through the cracks because he's an interior defensive lineman. He's got, like, the most sacks. He's got 13 sacks already this season. That's for one team. I mean, guys won't even reach that on other teams. So I think that they might have individual within team awards like that. Uh, like, I know the Orioles have, like, the most valuable Oriole. I don't know if they do the most valuable Raven. I'm not sure. But it's something that needs to be considered because there's so many guys that are very well deserving of an MVP. And it doesn't have to be a quarterback. It doesn't have to be the top tier level of offensive guys. You, you can't forget about the defensive guys. I like to ask this question. Um Going into a lot of when you know going into the playoffs, I'd like to ask this question. Ravens, of course, are stout on both sides. We just talked about that at length. But what is one thing that the you know the Ravens team in general, or like the fan base, is concerned about? Like, what is the one Achilles heel for the Ravens that we should be looking out for going into the playoffs? It can be just a certain play scheme they'll play against. It can be a certain aspect of their team itself. It could be a team that they don't want to face in the playoffs. You know, in the AFC, like what is there something in particular you can pinpoint that's like they are that it keeps them up at night, you know, the fan base, the team, it's, is there anything you can like pinpoint that wise? Uh, what, keep, what keeps me up at night is the potential uh, reality of facing Joe Flacco and the Browns, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. because that's a guy that the Ravens know well, and they know January Joe quite too well. And it's so funny because I, I just talked to Justin Tucker yesterday and obviously they, they go way back. So, I think for all of these Ravens players who know Joe Flacco, <clears throat> to go up against him at home, that's a real possibility. Yeah. I mean, with how the with how the Browns are doing. And that's a great defense. Um, it's a great offense with David Njoku and the connection that he and Joe Flacco have created. So that's what keeps me up at night because, you know, the Ravens obviously can win against good teams, but they can also lose to good teams in a really bad way and they can beat themselves. And so I I don't want to say I foresee this, but 
it's it's really hard for the Ravens to play another AFC North opponent in the playoffs because they've already played them both all of them twice. So I think that was the problem last year where they played the Bengals back to back. They could have won that game against the Bengals if Tyler Huntley didn't fumble the ball. You know, that's the one thing that that's the problem for the Ravens. So I think if they face another AFC North opponent, you don't want to do that. I mean, you don't you just don't want to do it. Yeah. So the Browns keeps me up at night, and I'm sure it keeps up a lot of people because, yeah, it'd be so awesome to see Joe Flacco. I know he'd get such a good reception coming back to M&T Bank Stadium because all Baltimore fans love him. Mm-hmm. But they hate to see him in another jersey that's not the Ravens, and they hate to see him be doing really well. And you mentioned they played the Bengals twice last year. Uh, they, might, they might play the uh, Steelers twice <laughs> this year too. Right. It could very, That know. could very well happen. I mean – they're obviously going to rest almost everyone. It, it sounds like the Ravens, especially Lamar Jackson, uh, this upcoming weekend, uh, Sunday tomorrow. So, yeah, it's just um, yeah, it very it, that could be a scenario for sure. <laughs> they, if they see the Steelers, uh, you know, one game in the, in the regular season, last game, and then the first game in the playoffs as well. So we'll have to just kind of see how that all turns out. I do want to finish up real fast. I mean, this has been awesome. Uh, we really appreciate your time, Valerie, of course. I know we've been going a little bit over here, but real quick question about the Orioles. Uh, Orioles, of course, had an amazing season last year. Uh, spring training starting up now. Uh, they did lose. They did get swept, but, of course, that was swept to the tech, uh, Rangers, excuse me, who ended up winning the World Series. So all things considered, not too bad, not too shady. You can definitely sleep with that at night. But just overall, like, what was the – what was the fan base kind of saying about this team getting swept in the playoffs? Cause at that point, you know, we didn't know the Rangers were going to win the world series. I don't think a lot of people would have said that the Rangers would have won the world series, even at that point. So were fans really upset or and I know we could, I know we talked about, you know, when we had you on the first time, the expectations for the Orioles and just making the playoffs alone was a successful season. Yeah. So did that still hold true when they did lose, they did get swept in the playoffs? Absolutely. And it's just so incredible because I think they did exceed expectations at the end of the day. My thought was that they were going to get into the wild card, probably maybe have the lowest seed, but just make it to the playoffs, which would have been their first time since 2016. But the fact that they ended up winning the division, earning the number one seed for the first time since, I don't know when they've had the number one seed, but the last time that they won the AL East was 2014. And so for them to do all that and then lose in the first round, obviously it's disappointing or not the first round, but their first their yeah. first go-round in the playoffs, it's disappointing. And the way that they played, I'll be honest, I wasn't too happy with how Brandon Hyde managed that playoff team. I didn't like the way that he was utilizing the pitchers. And understand this, too, they didn't have John Means. They didn't have Felix Bautista at this point. So you were already kind of thinking, like, ugh, this isn't going to be good. Right. Like this, I mean, unless the offense really shows up, we don't have the pitching that we really wanted. We don't have that number one start. I can't believe they didn't start Kyle Gibson. They went for all the youngsters to me, which was not what I would have done. I'm not the coach, but and I don't want to nitpick the way that Brandon Hyde ended up doing that, but I've never seen him do that type of managing throughout the entire season. So it was just surprising to me. Um And I had a lot of faith in those guys, and I still do, and they're still so good. But, again, they had never played this many games in a season. They had never played this late. They had never played this type of high-stakes game. So you can't expect too much more from them. I do think that since they lost at home, that was really disappointing. If they would have won both of those or maybe just one and then lost on the road like they did, I think fans would have felt better about it. 
it's the first time they got swept in 91 series. It's like just ironic yeah. because they had that streak going in the regular season and it's still a streak once they start up again at the end of March, but it's just so sad. That's the way it had to happen. And I know that they put a lot of pressure on themselves. And so I think now going into 2024, I hope that Mike Elias does something similar to what we saw Eric DaCosta do with the Ravens is get a stacked roster. You have it on offense. You just need those pitchers. That's what they need. Mm -hmm. And so their, their pickups replacing Felix Bautista with Craig Kimbrell is huge. And, and I love that pickup, but they do need another starting pitcher, at least uh, one to replace Kyle Gibson. Mm -hmm. They lost Jack Flaherty. So that's two that you really need to replace. And you could use another left-handed pitcher because right now you only have John Means as a starter. So they definitely need to do more uh, on the free agent market, and they haven't done enough. And it's January. Now, I do believe that they still have a lot of time and that they could still grab some more guys. Fingers crossed for Dylan Cease. I really like that pickup. Um, but time is ticking fast, and spring, spring training is like going to come up in the end of next month. So – it's it's starting to really get rolling and um and I think that the Ra the the Orioles fans, the Ravens fans too, but the Orioles fans would really like to see good pickups before spring training so that when they go to spring training, they're not gonna just be excited to see Jackson Holiday, who could be a really big piece of this offense and a big piece of this team going into next year, but they need to see other guys. They want to see new faces. They know the Adley Rutschman, the Gunnar Henderson, the guys that have won awards all throughout this season. They're good. Their their mainstay is they're going to be there for for a long time. But you need a couple more new faces because yeah. that's what helped the Orioles last season was Ryan O'Hearn, Adam Frazier, the guys that they didn't have in years past that weren't coming up through the farm system. So you need to kind of make those pickups before it gets too late. And I think that they have the opportunity to do that. But the time is now. Well, yeah, Valerie. I mean, the exciting point, exciting part is, is that success begets more success. So for a long time. Uh, Baltimore was not a popular site for free agents to go to just because of how the team was playing. Of course, they, you know, they weren't playing well for a long time there, but, you know, just had a hundred win season and a lot of bright things for this team coming up, especially on that offensive side. So uh, hopefully, you know, with the success they had last year, that it might be a popular place for free agent pitching to come and you guys can really boost up that position uh, going into next year, which would really help. Of course. Um, last question. I know we uh, got to get going here, but, Camden Yards, of course, was renewed, and uh, I would love to hear just how excited the fans were. I know that's definitely a historic venue. Uh, people of Baltimore, fans of Baltimore, love the Camden Yards. So, just what was the overall reaction when that when that uh, when that site got renewed? Total excitement. Yeah. I don't think that there was a doubt really in anyone's mind <laughs> that it wasn't going to stay here. Uh, and so, for that lease to be extended, for things to work out in the front office and with the ownership. Uh, I think it's just incredible because 30 years is a long time. And so that kind of pushes things off at least for the next three to 15 years or something. And then they can start talking about new things, but it, it, it puts a lot of new ideas into all the, all of our fans heads because they're going to remodel certain things and they're going to have new additions. We saw this with the Raven stadium uh, unveiling some new blueprints uh, and renderings for what they're uh, adding to the stadium. And and the Orioles should do about the same thing with the money that they're getting um, in this deal from from Maryland State something. And, um, and so Stadium Authority, I believe. And so they're going to do a lot of things. And I'm really, really excited to see uh, where it goes because 
the, the stadium is so, so good already that you're like, how can it get any better? But that's because I haven't seen it. A lot of people haven't seen a lot of other stadiums, mm-hmm. so including me, but I know that we're pretty spoiled with how Camden Yards is right now. Um, I know they're probably going to change where the press sits, and that's that's a me problem. Uh, but it's going to help the fans, and there's going to be more suites, and it's going to be awesome. And they already have the most amazing food, and the views there are incredible. And I just that's a place that I really love going to every single day when we're in season. And it's not the same feel as M&T Bank Stadium because it's so vast there, and it's just such a great environment to be right downtown and. It's incredible. So I think the fans are so excited that it's going to stay here in Baltimore. I know there were talks of Nashville, but nobody wants to go there. Let's be honest. Um, at least Baltimore fans don't. So I think they they like it for the next thirty years, and that'll be a long time. Thirty years? Well, I didn't. I actually didn't even know that. Thirty years? Wow. <laughs> That's gonna. Yeah, it'll be there for a little bit then. You don't have to worry about that anytime soon. So, but yeah, hopefully, you know, baseball seems so far away at this point. It's crazy, but it you know, be here before you know it. And I'm excited for the Orioles uh, next year. I really am because they, they're a fun team. And we talked about it the first time we had you on. I mean, they're, they're a really fun team to watch. So I'm, I'm definitely excited to see what they can do next year and uh, especially get some pitching behind the team and see how far they can go. Well, this has been awesome, Valerie. Like I said, really appreciate your time coming on. Uh, sorry we went, went a little bit over, but, um, mm. you know, loved talking to you. Got some awesome insight on the Ravens. I'm rooting for the Ravens. Um, I'm, a, I'm an Eagles fan, so they're probably going to be out pretty pretty early in the playoffs, unfortunately, <laughs> with how they've been playing. So I do like the Ravens. I always have. So hopefully they can, uh, you know, I'll be rooting for them to, to make some progress and go far in the playoffs. I appreciate you having me on, Jared. Always happy to talk about the birds. So uh, good luck to your Eagles. But I, I look, you never know what happens. I mean, the, you said we never knew who was going to win the World Series. Didn't think it was going to be the Texas Rangers. Yeah. I hope that since it's not the Chiefs this year, fingers crossed, it'll be somebody who's unexpected. Yeah, baseball is a little bit different, of course. You know, that's that could be a little bit more of a wild card sometimes, but literally. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. yeah, the Eagles. Uh, yeah, they got. They got a sh- something to they show, so <laughs> they have to fix something fast. Yeah, <laughs> very, very fast. So, all right, Valerie. Well, I'll be in touch, and you know, we'll love to have you on again sometime soon. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Okay, let's finish up with our off the map and long hauls of the week. Justin, uh, start us off. What is your off the map of the? My off the map of the week is the AFC North. The AFC North will become the first NFL division in 88 years. To pull off this feat, this feat, if the Bengals beat the Browns in Week 18, the Bengals would be nine and eight. Obviously, the Browns and the Ravens obviously in the playoffs with the Ravens winning that division, and the Steelers at nine and seven as well, having another over 500 season. But for the first time since 1935, was the NFL West, the much vaunted NFL West, back in 1935. And the Lions were 7-3-2. The Packers were 8-4. Bears were 6-4-2. And, and the Cardinals were 6-4-2. So way, way back in the day, back in 1935, uh, was the last time an NFL division finished with, an, with every team over a 500 winning percentage. So the AFC North yeah. has the chance to do that this Sunday, if the Bengals win, and that would be a very—I mean, that—that that wouldn't be telling because the AFC North is probably the best division in football, arguably right now, especially with the Steelers sure. having a over five hundred record, even though they didn't have their best season, still could get in the playoffs. Yeah. The Ravens, obviously, 
being the Super Bowl favorites. The Browns might actually be the second best team in the AFC. And then the Steelers was continuing their 500 finish and the Bengals as well. So yeah. that could be a really, that could be an even better division next year once Burrow's back healthy. And the AFC North is, is probably the best division in football, not just now, but in the future. Well, it is a lot of the times, really. Um, I was thinking, we were talking offline, I was thinking of the NFC East last year. So NFC mm-hmm. East last year, uh, they had every team at 500. So Eagles, Cowboys, and the Giants um, were over 500 last year. Uh, the Commanders uh, were at 500. 8-8-1. Eight, 8-8-1. Eight, and, yep. eight, eight, mm-hmm. and one. So that's why I was confused. I'm like, because you said that offline, and I'm like, I thought that happened last year with the NFC East, but no, the command. I forgot the Commanders had that tie that, basically made them yeah. at 500 so <laughs> close but no cigar i guess my um my off the map uh, the nets uh nets became the first team to be fined under the nba's uh rest policy this new rest policy that was implemented uh beginning of the year thursday night in their loss against the bucks the nets beds uh spencer Din- dinwiddie nick claxton cam johnson and dorian finney smith uh, the Nets then, of course, were fined $100,000 by the league for doing this. We kind of touched on it before the NBA started this year. Uh, there was a new rest policy that was uh, given out by the NBA for all-star caliber players. I don't know the exact details, but of course, the first offense is $100,000. The second offense is two fifty, dollars and then the third offense is $1 million. So, yeah, first blood goes to the Nets. Nets will be the first team, uh, will war the first team Thursday night to be fined by the NBA for benching players that could have otherwise played due to the uh, new uh, medical policy by the NBA. So, yeah, that's my off-the-map of the week, the New York Nets. Zach, what is your off-the-map of the week? Off the map of the week, we're going to go down to Oxford, Mississippi, and we're going to find out if Chris Beard's team is actually good. They're 13-0 this year, but they're in Ken Palm, they're ranked 79th, net rankings only 60. They're ranked 22nd in the polls because their best win this season so far has been a home win against Memphis. Now they're going on the road to take on Tennessee's currently ranked number five. A lot of people's favorites to win the SEC this year. Uh, Chris Beard, if you remember what he did at Texas Tech, take that team to the national championship game back in 2019, made a couple other deep runs in the NCAA tournament. The guy clearly knows how to coach, but I think this is the game that we're going to find out. The Rebels' 13-0 start was because of their non-conference schedule, which is one of the worst in college basketball, or if this program is actually a legitimate threat to win the SEC. Long haul. Justin, what is your long haul of the week? My long haul of the week is the Lakers, and it turns out the reports are they are losing faith in their coach, DeVar Ham. He definitely has turned the Lakers around, in my opinion. But too quickly to fire him, I think it's very quick to fire him because the Lakers are struggling. And I think you should, I think they should give him much more leeway. And obviously the NBA, you know, coaches don't get as much of a leeway as some of the other leagues. I mean, you could say that across all the leagues. But, uh, but the Lakers are the reports of DeVar Ham. And now Steve Kerr as well. The Warriors, I believe one of the, one of the forwards for the Warriors was losing faith in Steve Kerr. So <clears throat> a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of coaching rumors in the NBA here with um, the Lakers and Warriors. My long haul of the week, I'm going to go NBA. Um, Wembenyama in general, uh, putting up insane numbers every single night, it seems like. But they're not winning games. Spurs 
five and 29 of the season right now. They've lost nine of their last 10 games. They're on pace to have the worst record uh, in NBA history after drafting or after having the number one overall pick. So, yeah, I mean, he's putting up stats, but he's just not winning games. Uh, basketball is a team effort, of course, and Weminyama is probably the best prospect since LeBron. If Well, not probably, he is the best prospect since LeBron James. But like I said, he's just not winning the games. And this is uh, in this is coinciding with uh, Devin Vassell having the best year of his career in San Antonio. He's not getting nearly enough attention as he should be getting. Uh, their most recent game against the Bucks, he put up 34 points, second highest scoring game of the season and his career. And he's been playing well for San Antonio all year long, and uh, he's not being, he's not getting enough credit by any means. And I think a lot of the spotlight is going to Wembenyama, of course, but. That's just my long haul. Women Yama uh, putting up awesome numbers, but not winning games and uh, especially taking away spotlight from other high performing and up and coming players in uh, in the Spurs organization like a Devin Vossel that should be getting more attention. Zach, finishes off. What is your long haul of the week? Long haul of the week is a little concerned about the Milwaukee Bucks. They're only... Their point differential is only on average plus five per game. They're averaging giving up 120 points per game. Damian Lillard is a big-time offensive weapon, but he is a liability on the defensive end of the floor. And giving up Drew Holiday, one of the best defensive guards in the league, so far it has not really paid off for them. Now, they're only two games back of Boston, but they're not worried about the regular season. They're worried about can this team win a championship because they went all in to do that. They're going all in to try to keep Giannis in Milwaukee. And right now that team has a lot of concerns on the defensive end of the floor. You're not going to win championships giving up 120 points a game in the regular season. And I know they're going to try harder in the playoffs, but that is a significant gap to try to climb if you're doing that in the regular season. So uh, a little concerned about the Bucks, and maybe that trade actually lessened their playoff chances or their championship hopes. All right, good show, guys. Back on Tuesday, as always, breakdown NFL last week of the NFL. Probably some games will breeze over, of course, uh, just given that they're either bad or just didn't really mean anything. But, of course, a lot of the games that will happen on Sunday will mean a lot and Saturday as well. So we'll break it all down and get into anything else that might have happened over the weekend. But until then, take care and keep on traveling.